This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Can you believe in something that's hurt you? Can you believe in something that's caused you pain? My grandmother passed away from cancer. Uh, I was a senior in high school. She was a very fit woman, took her health very seriously. It's heartbreaking to watch as cancer ravished her body. I got to watch my grandfather walk alongside her in that journey, both people of faith. But through the course of her cancer and her passing and my grandfather's grieving, I sat with my grandfather and he said something very powerful to me. He said, I believe in God. I just can't believe in the church. Through my grandmother's cancer and her passing, most would say that the church let her down. But the leadership let them down. He felt very much, my grandfather, very much wounded after the fact. And it took some time um, after her passing in his own journey before he would come back to any relationship with the church. I believe in God. I just can't believe in the church. Maybe you understand that sentiment. Maybe you've been there. I know many of you have. Really hard to believe in something and embrace it and hold on to it the way you know you ought when it has hurt you, when it has grieved you, left you when you needed it most. I believe in God. I just don't know if I can believe in the church. I say that from experience. We're in the middle of, midst of, actually seven weeks into, not quite middle, of a series on creed. These things that the church has held on to and proclaimed throughout its life. That I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will return to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then this week, what it means to say, I believe in the church. In your notes, I want you to write something down, and it's two phrases. They go together. It's one idea. It's two phrases. Bear with me. I'll teach you through it. Don't walk out. You'll be okay. 
After we say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Holy Catholic Church dash the communion of saints. Would you write that down? The Holy Catholic Church dash the communion of saints. It's two lines. It's one idea. One talks about universal. One talks about local. But they go together. And you need them together to understand that. To help us, let's go to Scripture. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. And again, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, Maybe you're a Bengals fan and you're hoping for some extra juice if you go to church. Um, Whatever. I don't care what got you in here. That's fine. I'm happy with that. Chrissy's like, she's got, her, she's got her colors on. She's ready to go. Matt just gave her a dirty look because the brown, he's got his brown shirt on. <laughs> should sit you Browns fans down and talk to you a little bit. Maybe there's some spiritual thing that's going on. I could help you. I I'm busting. I'm busting. I'm from Steelers territory. What do I know? Do have a lot of rings, though. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry. Hell, I get dirty looks from everybody. This sermon's going to go awesome. This is great. We're supposed to have a life group leader coach, coaching meeting tonight. And uh, someone came up and says, you know the, the Bengals are playing at the Super Bowl tonight. I'm like, so? She's like, no one's going to go to your meeting. Thank you for reminding me where I stand in the pecking order. That's means so much to me. <laughs> Pastor Paul, we love that all you've done for us. We will not come to your stupid meeting. <laughs> we have buffalo chicken dip that's calling our name. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. So we're going to anchor ourselves this morning as we unpack what it means to say, I believe in the church. Therefore, Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You can even hear like an early version of Creed there, can't you? I want to read it with us again and let the Spirit just walk you through it, okay? And listen to the repetition. It's intentional. Listen to how the Apostle Paul structures things. Listen to the specific words that he uses. Ask yourself, What was he feeling when he wrote this? What was he thinking as he articulated this passage, as he passed it on to a local church? What were his emotions? Ephesians 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, 
with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Let's take apart this phrase, the Holy Catholic Church. We're going to look at each of those words. Again, stay with me. Stay with me. What does it mean to say that I believe in the Holy Church, that it's holy? I want you to have some stories in the back of your mind. Think of Moses going up the mountain because he sees the burning bush. He says, what is this burning bush about? As he approaches the bush, the voice of God, the angel of the Lord speaking to Moses through the bush. says, hey, Moses, glad that you're here. So glad. I want to talk to you. Time out, buddy. I need you to take your shoes off. You're about to step onto holy ground. Moses, you're about to lose, move from one space into a different type of space. There's something about your ground that's different from this ground. And to go into this ground, it's holy. You need to act a certain way. It's different. It's a holy space. It's similar to when Isaiah the prophet is taken by vision up to see the, the heavenly throne room. And he hears the angelic beings crying out, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. This is the antiphonal praise. This is the song that defines this space. He's been catapulted into heavenly space. What you need to know, a human needs to know, when you move into God's space, you're moving into holy space. Holy space. That's why the tabernacle, the temple, was to be understood as the overlap of God, heaven space, and earth space. And when you stepped across the threshold into tabernacle, into temple, where the priests were, what the priests were doing was maintaining a certain order because this was holy space. And you acted a certain way and certain things happened and didn't happen. And what did happen was to happen through a certain order and a certain purpose. Because this is the overlap. We're moving into holy space. Move that forward, and Jesus enters the story. And the gospel writers are key to help us understand that when we were bumping into Jesus, when people would encounter Jesus, they were encountering tabernacle, temple. That the things that you'd go to the temple to do, people were doing in, with Jesus. You would go to have forgiveness as well. Jesus would forgive your sins. There was sacrifice and relationship and healing and restoration that happened in Jesus' presence. After all, conceived by the Holy Spirit, where Jesus is, is holy ground. That's so very important. Because when we encounter the church, the holy church, Scripture tells us we are encountering the one body, the body of Christ. There's something different about church space. Not building space, the people space that church is. Wherever two or three are gathered, right? 
When I bump into brothers and sisters or when outsiders step into the presence of, they're moving into holy space because this is the body of Christ. It's holy. That's the connection in the creed to, I believe, in the Holy Spirit, in the holy church. I always struggled um, with church doctrinal statements and faith statements because it always looked like the Holy Spirit got like the short end of the stick. All about God the Father and all these wonderful things about Jesus and all that he had done. And certainly, absolutely, right? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, seven hundred bunch of us. Go, 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 go. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And they keep on going from there. But what we have to understand is because we believe in the Holy Spirit and the life the Spirit creates, We believe in the church. It is the body of Christ. The spirit is the soul of the church. In the same way that Christ is the head of the church. This is where we encounter the life of God. I'm in church space. Not church building. People. People. The beautiful aspect, beautiful truth of the table and coming to the table the Lord's table. In fact, in some church traditions, what do they call it? They call this the presence. We're entering into and remembering the presence of Christ. There's a real experience of God's presence when I come to the table. Jesus meets me here. His spirit invigorates me. There's grace outpoured. His body, his blood. Together, his body, his blood, the body of Christ. Here's the kicker. Can you have unholy people in a holy church? I hope so. Can you have unholy people in a holy church? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and this is where many of us struggle with church. Because if it's supposed to be the body of Christ, why is it so jacked up all the time? Like, Hot mess. We are all sinful people brought into the life in God. Let me illustrate it. In November, I had injured my forearm. I was using <laughs> leaf blower and jacked it up somehow so much it just hurts to move hurts to close my fist and most of the time I have a, a, a brace on my forearm um, whenever my wife is sad I let her poke around it because that's what physical therapists do and it seemed to make therapists happy to bring others pain um, <laughs> that's gonna cost me later <laughs> I love my wife my forearm is hurting my forearm is in pain. There is damage. And skilled people can localize it. That aspect of my body, the hurting part, the broken part, the wounded part, is it no longer a part of my body because it's hurting? Is it no longer a part of my body because it's wounded? No. It's still a part of the body. Broken as it may be. Likewise, I... Injured my pectoral muscles. 
I'm not 23 anymore. <laughs> and so much so that it hurts to do certain movements. It's been about three weeks, four weeks, and it's, it's getting better. It hurts so much that if I were to sneeze and cough, it would cause excruciating pain in my body. Just that expanding uh, of my rib cage. So when I sense the cough coming on or the sneeze coming, the rest of my body kind of has to squeeze in and hold it. Isn't that interesting? Part of my body is hurting, so what does the rest of my body do? It comes to its protection and its aid to minister to it. It doesn't say, well, you're broken, so you're out of here. You're messed up, so you're gone. No, quite the opposite is true. It is not everything that it should be. It's unrighteous. It's not complete. It's not whole. And in that moment, it rushes. The rest of my body rushes to come alongside of it. Yes, the holy church is comprised of unholy people. Thanks be to God. But what does it mean when you say Catholic? Dude. We were watching the Olympics last night. Watching luge. This is a replay of luge. Luge relay. I didn't even know this was a thing. That there's relay races for luge. Luge is like they lie down on the sled. You know what I'm talking about? But this is a relay. So a girl will go down. And then a guy will go down. And then two guys stacked on top of each other. That's weird. Then they go down together. I'm like, who signs up for that one? They're like strapped together. On she goes down. And he goes down. And then two go down together. This paddle that they hit. And a cumulative time. It's really neat to watch. Watch various teams go through. And then the Russians came up. Oh, those Russians. And I noticed something in my own spirit, in my mind. I wanted the Russians to lose. Because they're Russian. And post-Cold War, as an American, what have I been conditioned to do? Those Russians. Isn't that weird? Like, Latvia, not an issue. Slovakia, go them, that's awesome. Russians, I hope you wreck. Why? And, it was, I, I, and I even said something to my wife. Says, Isn't it odd that there's something in me that's been conditioned to think when that comes up, I want something bad to happen to them through movies, through media, through stories, through education, misinformation, you name it. Russia, bad. Immediately like that. Because we know that that tendency is true. Let's take the idea Catholic, and let's actually talk about it with a sense of intelligence and education. In 100 AD, a bishop by the name of Ignatius, he was a disciple of John who wrote parts of the book, okay? We're that close to the New Testament, okay? Ignatius was discipled underneath John, was pastoring in a church called Smyrna. He was sent there by Peter, Peter, the guy who wrote part of the book. Okay? We're that close to the story. 
Ignatius has this to say to the church in Smyrna as he's being taken to Rome because he's going to be killed. He says this, wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic church. This is 180. He uses it in such a way that it's assumed by the author that everybody knows what that means. We are centuries away from anything that you understand to be Catholic. Okay? In 100 AD, it was a common understanding that wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic church. It's used consistently throughout the history of the church. But what does it mean to say, I believe in the church, the Catholic church? Catholic is the combination of two words. I want you to look at them in, in, in Scripture. Okay? Two ideas need to flow out of the idea uh, of the word Catholic. The first part is the actual etymology of the word Catholic. It's two Greek terms, and then we're going to pull them out of a couple verses in the book of Acts. Lola, could you bring up Acts chapter 5, verse 11, please? Acts 5, verse 11. She's awesome. Well done. Great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard of these things. Whole church. See that word whole before of church? That's part of the word Catholic. The idea of whole. Okay. Lola, could you bring up the verse in chapter 9, verse 31? Acts 9, verse 31. In walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Was there a part before that? No, 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 from the 31 part. I think Ryan said he split it apart. There we go. Thank you. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and was being built up. You see that word throughout? That's the other part of the word Catholic. To say Catholic is to say whole throughout. That which is whole, that which is throughout, is part of the understanding of Catholic. To the early church, first, earliest centuries of the church, it was understood that there's something about us that is whole and throughout everywhere. That whether I am at church in Jerusalem, or gathering in Judea, or Samaria, or one of the most parts of the world, there's a Catholicity about us, so much so that church leaders took these two ideas of whole and throughout and put them together into one word. We're Catholic. We're whole throughout. That what is in Rome is the same thing that's in Philippi, that's in Thessaloniki, that, that's in Jerusalem. We're whole. We're throughout. This is why Paul runs with this idea in Galatians chapter 3. This is 26 to 28. Lilith, could you do that one for me? Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you wanted to divide people back in ancient culture, you would do it along those lines. You're going to divide them uh, by ethnicity. You're going to divide them by economics. You're going to divide them by gender. If you want to understand the hierarchy of people groups, you would pick one of those matrix. We can divide them uh, by their ethnicity. We can divide them economically. We can divide them by gender. And certain ones come before other ones. And you could probably guess as far as priority goes. The Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. Not in the Holy Catholic Church. We are all one. When we come together, we are one in Christ.
So part of understanding Catholic means that there's a whole throughout. There's a geographical sense, a time sense to it. But there's another aspect to it. It's the one teaching, the one faith in Ephesians chapter 4 that the Apostle Paul is talking about. You're called to that one hope, that one faith, that one Lord, the one teaching. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. These things that are core to us, that make us Catholic. That's what the word Catholic means. Not the differences. We got into the habit, have gotten into the habit of defining us by the differences. That's why when I said the word Catholic, parts of the back of your neck did this thing. Okay? Because some of you may have come out of the Latin rite or come out of the Roman tradition. And you're like, there's a reason I left that tradition. What are you using the word Catholic for? I'm like, let me tell you the history of the word Catholic. Yeah, for hundreds of years, it was understood we are Catholic. But then something happened in 1054 where the church kind of went Latin and Greek, east and west. And each side kind of wanted to be in charge of the other one. So much so that each side kicked the other side out. So the Western church said to the Eastern church, well, you're not Catholic. We're Catholic. You're heretics. You're schismatics. You broke off the one true church. And the East side, they did the exact same thing. Oh, no, 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 no. We're Catholic, and you broke off. And it became this term not to, not to gather us together, but to separate and to divide us. So that you get to the 1500s and the 1600s, what I call the burning years in England. Burning years because if your king was on the throne, everyone else that didn't believe that way got burned. Literally burned. So if the king or queen was Protestant, Romans, get out of town. And then if the king or queen was, you know, Roman, then Protestants, you got out of town. That level of division. Well, at a time when the Church of England was in charge... They said, we're Catholic. And those who were following the Pope, they came up with this really derogatory term. They called them Roman Catholics. Dead serious, I'm not making this up. You're not Catholic. You're Roman Catholic. And depending on who was on the throne, it would flip-flop. It would flip-flop. From the beginning... To use the term correctly and understand the term correctly means that there is an idea of all throughout in this one core teaching. Are there things that are different between Protestant tradition and the Roman tradition? Yeah. Between the Orthodox tradition? Yeah, absolutely. Are there differences amongst Protestants? Oh, big ones. Oh, big ones. But that's not what is Catholic. An example, uh, someone from, from, from the Roman faith. Part of the dogma of the, of the Roman faith is the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, that Mary was a sinless vessel for the conception of Christ. She's sinless. Yeah, I got a problem with that. I don't believe that. Okay. That doesn't stop us from being brothers and sisters in the faith. I have a very, very dear sister in the faith, very brothers in the faith who, who, are, who follow the Pope. That's fine. We have great conversations. Differences. Eight years ago, when 
we were in between churches. Uh, we were attending a Pentecostal church, an, an AG church. And within the AG tradition, they believe in what's called initial evidence, meaning that uh, when the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence of that is that you're speaking in tongues. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Very dear friends in the faith that we have that go to that church, love them dearly. They believe one way, I believe a different way. It's not a Catholic thing. What's a Catholic thing? I believe in the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, Jesus Christ, God's only Son. These are Catholic things. Can we have things that are different? Yep. I could bring up Lucas, Aiden, and Jackson, and you would know by looking at these are my three sons, you would know they're related. You could see it, like clearly siblings. But are there also differences? Yes. Do we learn to celebrate differences? Lucas is very different than Aiden, is very different than Jackson. 100%. Yeah. I have found my challenge as a parent is helping them learning to anchor themselves in that which makes them one, not so much that which makes them different. You are my brother. Holy Catholic Church. What's the word church mean? You can use it in a lot of different contexts. It means to be called out from. Called out from, called into. You can use it to describe legislative bodies in the ancient culture. doesn't always refer to a religious group, but when we're talking about religious group, we're talking about a church, we're realizing that we are called out of something, called into something else. Three great images in the Old Testament to understand church. First one is Noah. Okay? God called Noah out of something, out of the worldliness and the unrighteousness of his time. The ark, the vessel of salvation and deliverance. And historically, a boat has been a symbol of the church for thousands of years. If you go to a great cathedral, great Gothic cathedral, even some smaller ones that hold to certain traditions, they have what's called the nave. Okay, have you familiar with the term nave? Okay. Nave, that's the central part of the church. The central corridor right here would be called the nave. Okay. Comes from the Latin term navis, meaning boat. That's why churches were shaped like boats. Noah, called out of, called into. Abraham, called out of his people, called out of a land into God's promise. Leave that, Abraham, leave that behind. I'm leading you to something else, into something else. Moses, calling you out of Egypt with God's people to go into the promised land. This is the ideas of church, to be called out of something into something else. One church, one body. It's that one body that we hear Jesus crying out on behalf of when he confronts the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul, before he's the Apostle, is on his way to Damascus to arrest, to persecute, to punish, to judge, to torture followers of the way. He's not a follower of Christ yet. And Jesus knocks him off of his donkey and says to the Apostle Paul, Jesus says this, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? 
Why are you persecuting my followers? Paul, you are hunting, you are persecuting, you are um, incarcerating, you are punishing, you're torturing me. Because where the body of Christ is, there is Christ. Matthew 25. When you've done this to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it to me. The body of Christ. It's a living organism, not just an organization. There's something living about it. The one church is the body of Christ. So what does it mean to say, I believe in holy Catholic church? How do I respond to that? What is the appropriate biblical response to belief in the church? That this church is something that I'm out of into. It's baptism. It's baptism. Baptism is how I enter into the life of God. Ephesians chapter 4. The same way there's one body, one spirit, one hope to which you are called. There's one faith. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. Sure. Can we go back and forth about which baptism that and which baptism that? Sure. We can do that. That's excellent. Whether you're a pedo-baptist or you're an adult baptist or whether it's full immersion or three times immersions or you can sprinkle or you can touch. Not th- we believe in one Baptism. It's how I participate in the life of Christ. How I enter into it. Does that mean that you should be baptized? Well, want a relationship with Jesus? Yeah. It's a foreign concept in the New Testament for somebody to say that they're a follower of Jesus, but they don't want to get baptized or haven't been baptized. They go together. It's the gateway, the doorway into the life of Christ. So let me challenge you. Take out the notes that you received when you walked in and tear out the connection card that's on the side. Tear, 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 tear. Tear, 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 tear. I believe in the church, meaning I've been baptized. I've been baptized. Let me challenge you. If you haven't been baptized, an infant or an adult, or maybe as an infant, but you have some questions, let me challenge you. Write down your name, write down the word baptism, and put this card in the basket as it goes by later in the gathering. I'd love a chance to talk to you about what baptism is and what baptism is not, how important it is. The Apostle Paul lists it right here. He doesn't list a lot of things that we hold very dearly when it comes to church life, but he sure does list baptism. I believe in the church. How do I express that? How do I enter into that? It means I've been baptized. I believe in Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. What does that mean? Okay, so say Holy Catholic Church, Church Universal, Church Big, Church All Sea, Church Whole World, Church of All Time. Communion of saints, Church Local. The local expression, the local testimony of the universal truth. That the body of Christ, you can bump into it when you walk the earth. 
We go about this. Listen to what he says. This is Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to go back through verses 1 through 4. 1 through 3, excuse me. Ephesians 4, 1 through, uh, I'll go down through verse 3. I, prisoner for the Lord, urge you, meaning I'm pleading, I'm begging you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. How do you follow Jesus? Okay, verse 2, with humility and gentleness, those two terms go together, with peace, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain that. I mean, let's unpack that together. Humility and gentleness, two words that they go together. In my big, expensive, fancy books that are in my office that I spend a whole lot of money on, this is how that idea is defined. Listen, what is humility and gentleness? It means not being overly impressed with one's self-importance. I really like that. To walk in humility and gentleness means I'm not overly impressed with my self-importance. I recognize my responsibility to walk worthy of the gospel is to put you ahead of me. Your needs ahead of mine. And to do so in a gentle, kind, loving, patient way. We are now walking directly counter our culture. Narcissus is a character from Greek mythology. And Narcissus was a handsome young man. So handsome, it said, that he's walking through the woods one day and he sees his reflection in a pond. And instead of going on, he falls in love with himself and never leaves and never looks away. He's so enamored with himself, he stays there and he dies. That's where we get the term narcissist. Oh, I get it. We all have a little bit of a narcissist in all of us. It's not something to be glorified. It's certainly not something to aspire to. Self-importance and self-glorification and self-idolizing. The difference between the world and the church is the difference between selfies versus selflessness. Look at me. How can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I care for you? How can I come alongside of you? To walk in humility and gentleness. To put others before me. In a little bit, uh, on uh, March 2nd, we'll start uh, the, the spring season, Lent season, that leads up to Easter. 40-day journey where we're going to walk alongside of Jesus as he enters into the wilderness because we recognize that the heart needs to be humbled and we need to put ourselves in a proper orientation to Jesus and others. We need to understand confession. We need to understand how we are given over to narcissism, how we're given over to self. 
We need to learn forgiveness. We need to learn discernment. Healthy expressions of church life. But the temptation of world and culture is to glorify me. I had to laugh. I was tried. I was at the gym. That makes me laugh. And and this guy walks by. And if you're familiar with the sculpture of David, this guy looked like that. Like his muscles had muscles. And I'm like, holy cow. Snap dragons. And I'm just here just kind of doing my leg curls, just trying to get this thing up. I mean, like, this guy was like, wow. He's he's probably like 6'4", and like Captain America. He's doing these chin-ups and pull-ups. Then he kind of looked around and do it one-handed. And I'm like, wow. And his girlfriend walked by. She was elegant. She was beautiful. You could tell they spent a lot of time in the gym, these two. Like an amazing, yeah, a lot of time in the gym. But they didn't just work out. They like to take pictures of themselves working out. Like, he'd do a pull-up and look over and wink at her, and she snagged the picture for him, passed his camera over. And then she was doing these lat pull-downs, okay? Working triceps. That's this part. Triceps are back here, okay? Weights. Pull them down this way, okay? This is the movement. She walks over to him. She goes, signals to him this way. Gives him her phone. You ready? I'm watching. I'm just doing leg curls. Like, what are you doing? And then she does this lat pull down, just tricep, working her triceps and her last. She was doing something to work something else. Like it was like. <laughs> he's like, yeah, baby. And he's just taking picture after picture after picture. Is there anyone from the first service who snuck in to take a picture of that? Because some people threatened to do that when I was going to, yeah, during that. Now, maybe he was recording that because he was keeping, like, an image log because he wanted to see how well his delts and his shoulders were coming. Maybe that's just important to him, right? And he just got home and personally, quietly logged that to himself. Or maybe she was personally just working on stuff. (laughs) But it seemed to me from the outside that that was going to get shared somewhere on social media. And maybe I'm reading into her intentions and his intentions. But within the culture of the church, it's to be humble and gentle, putting others in front of myself. In fact, doing whatever I can to confront my own narcissism, my own narcissism. With patience. How does patience fit into that? Patience means tranquil while waiting a certain outcome. To say that I'm patient with you means that I know that there's a certain outcome I'm waiting for with tranquility and long suffering and perseverance. Because I know it's not the goal of God to get you to look like me, it's the goal of God to get you to look like Jesus. And so if I'm gonna walk alongside of you, I'm gonna do it patiently. 
as the Spirit is bringing you into the likeness of Christ. And you're being patient with me, knowing I'm a hot mess. I have struggles and difficulties. But I'm patient with you. Bearing with one another in love. Love, meaning to will the good of another. To will the good of someone else. It's not a feeling. If it is, it's a hard, hard one. That I do things and I bear with you as God is working out the gospel with inside of you. And that I want what's best for you. I want what's going to heal and restore you. It means I confront you and you confront me. Bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain that. Maintain means we guard this thing together. Paul alludes to this when he says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord and I urge you. What he's saying there is this is what it means to maintain that within a local church. I'm a prisoner. I'm bound to it. I am enchained to this idea that we are to admonish one another in the gospel. To be humble and gentle with one another as I am humble and gentle with you. To be patient with you. To bear with you. And you ought to do the same thing. It's not just a pastor thing, apostle thing, elder thing, older thing. Everyone has a responsibility to maintain it, to protect it, to guard over it, to keep it, to nurture it, to celebrate it. Let's maintain it together. This is the mission. The church doesn't have a mission. The church is the mission. A place where broken, defiled, corrupted individuals invigorated by the Holy Spirit are learning to walk in a better way of being human. You know how hard that is? From different backgrounds, from different experiences, from different pains, from different aspects and parts of life. You know what the mission is? Get them to love each other and not give up on each other. Get them to hold on to each other when it's so much easier to push one another away, to treat each other like a used Kleenex. Ah, I got what I needed. I'm done. What's the mission? To act like Jesus, to be the body of Christ, so much so that it testifies to the very presence of a living God. Jesus didn't leave books. He didn't write books. You can't go anywhere. This is the book that Jesus wrote. Nope. He didn't leave other artifacts, paintings, murals. He left nothing behind. Oh, except his body. How do you know that somebody's real? How do you know that someone's real? How do I know that Harry Congdon's real? I see him, I can walk up, I can touch him, I can interact with him. I know that Harry's real. Why? His body's right there. How does the world know that Jesus is real? The world's interaction with his body.
This is why the Apostle Paul uses such heavy words. I urge you, be eager to. You testify to the reality that Jesus is real. Your ability to be humble and gentle and patient and loving. Being submissive to the life of God surging through you. Caring for, walking alongside. It's a beautiful thing. I get a chance to meet with guests and talk with guests and follow up. Like I go to their house and like, hey, thanks for coming to House on the Rock. Uh, tell me what your experience was. Invariably, most of them say this. In fact, someone came, they actually said it this afternoon in between the gatherings. I walked in and something was different. There's a presence here. There's something here. And kudos to our first impressions team. We had guests in the first service. And they, I guess as they were leaving, hey, thanks for coming. He said, hey, your guests, your greeters, they were on point tonight, today. So thank you so much, our first impressions team. You're showing them that Jesus is real. Those of you who work over in the blasting zone and work with the lab, what are you doing? You're showing people Jesus is real as you love them and walk alongside of them and care for them and nurture them and confront them. Confront them. Are there differences in local expressions of the church? Yeah, yeah, sure. You can go to Japan. It's going to look a little bit different. You can go to Ethiopia. It'll look, look a little bit different. You can go to another church. My dear brother's church, Jamie, you know, just right down the road from here. It's going to look a little bit different than here. That's fine. In fact, some of those uniquenesses are what makes it special in certain ways. You talk about the Islamic faith and, and, and Judaism. They anchor their holy scriptures in the original Original version, okay, so we're talking about Arabic, we're talking about Hebrew. You want to interact with the scriptures, you need to speak those languages. Christianity, what makes us a little bit different? We took it the other way. You don't speak Greek? Sure. Here. Now it's in Latin. Oh, you don't speak Latin? Here you go. It's in French. Oh, you don't speak French? Here you go. It's in English. Oh, you don't speak English? Here. It's in Japanese. We want it to go out as far as it can possibly go out. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing to anchoring people into the one church, the communion of saints. What does it mean to say that I believe in the communion of saints, that place where I am accountable to be loving and kind? What does it mean? How, does, how do I believe in that, walk in that truth? It means to be a member of a local church. Remember, it's one body. How do I know that this hand is my hand? It's part of what? My body. It's not yours. It's mine. It's my hands. It's a member of my body. To walk in light of that truth, the communion, where I am accountable to be humble, and I am responsible to be loving, and I'm responsible to be patient, and I'm responsible to bear with one another, and to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. What he says, he says, I urge you, be eager to maintain it. It's like, I, I'm a member here. I'm a part of it here. Different churches flesh out membership differently. There are some uniquenesses with the way we do membership. In the New Testament, to be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be a contributing member of the local church. If you would like information about that, you can tear up in that connection card. If you put down baptism, you might also want to put down membership. What does membership look like at House on the Rock? 
What does it look like to walk alongside of, to submit to one another, to bear with one another, to care with one another? I believe in the communion of saints. The bond of peace, what he says there. Bound together, held together, one. I walk according to that. Ephesians chapter 3, just a a few paragraphs before this. Um, I mean, just this is something that you've heard me before. There's a few verses in in verse 21 at the end of that chapter. To him who's able to do far more abundantly all that we ask, think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church. And in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. May his glory shine. May he be radiant where? In the church. That body that keeps and shares salvation and grace. Parents, I know you want your kids to believe in Jesus. You're also responsible to help them to believe in the church. Grandparents, I know you want your grandkids to believe in Jesus. But that means they learn to believe in the church. It is the body of Christ. Before my grandfather passed away, he got baptized. Became a part of the church. I want my sons to believe in Jesus, which means I'm working to help them believe in church. So much so that when I'm gone and my wife is gone, Lucas, tell me about your dad. Tell me about your mom. Aiden, tell me about your dad. Tell me about your mom. They believed in Jesus. You want to know how I know? They believed in the church. Which means there are certain things that my son's doing and there's certain things that my sons don't do. Parents. It's part of the discipling process. So that they learn to believe in the church. Now maybe, God forbid it, but it's possible, they leave our home and they say, I'm done with church. Seemed like it was the only thing my dad cared about. I try to live a certain way in front of them. It's possible. A lot of pastors' kids go that path. But parents, do your kids know that you believe in the church? Or is it something that's easy to set aside when there's more fun things to do, better things to do? I believe in the Holy Spirit. Holy Catholic Church. In the communion of saints. Thank you for sharing your time with us. 
and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.